Welcome to Through the Ringer. I am your host, Tate Frazier, and today we have a very fun show. We have David Shoemaker joining the show. He's going to tell us all about what's happening with the merger of TKO, a.k.a. the WWE and the UFC. That's going to be a lot of fun. But first, we're going to have Nora Princiati come on the show, and she is going to give us all of the NFL updates that you need. She's going to give us her takes on all things NFL Week 2. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, and do a little conspiracy corner with Nora. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's get into it. Right now, Nora is joining us on Through the Ringer. I'm so glad to see her face. Nora is back. Nora, it is great to see you. It's so good to see you, Tate. <laughs> it's going to be a fun show. Uh, we have some great Taylor Swift uh, slash NFL crossover content to discuss later in this episode. That's what we like to call a teaser. Um, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I am very excited about that. Um, but I'm going to start here with you, Nora. This is a simple question. Um, and a lot of people have talked about who won week one and who lost week one. And obviously we know teams that won and lost. But for you, Nora, who was the big winner of week one in the NFL? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I think it was the Cowboys. Mm. I mean, I'm trying not to take too much from that Giants game, at least on the New York side, just because it was over 10 minutes after it started, if that we still don't really have a clear picture of, of the Dallas offense, this new, you know, Texas coast offense that they're, they're calling it just because of how the game script developed, but Holy moly, that defense is so good. They're Mm -hmm. so good. Tate. I think they were the winners. I like it. And I like the pick. And I think it's, you know, for America's team and for all the mini Cowboys fans in our lives, I think it's nice for them to have this moment in the sun. I think that was good. Uh, I think a lot of people were trying to figure out who uh, was going to be the favorite for the Super Bowl after week one. And I think the Cowboys, they officially have the belt. So we love to see that. So on the flip side, the most surprising team for you, Nora, and this could be good surprise or bad surprise. You tell me which surprise you're going to lean into. But who was the most surprising team in week one for you? You know, I guess I think it was the Seahawks coming out Mm. so flat. I really did not see that coming. Part of it, and this is what has me concerned about them, is just that uh, the absence of both tackles, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, both of whom not looking good for Sunday. Um, Charles Cross hasn't been practicing, but Abe Lucas did, in fact, go on IR, so they'll be without him for a month. That was not something that I baked into my Seahawks projections for the year. So not only the fact that they just seemed to have no energy, came out totally flat, couldn't get any pass rush on the other side of the ball, but then the fact that this early in the season, there are big questions about two of the most important players in their offense. That was a real, uh, real pivot for me. Yeah, and we had the memeable moment, right, when Aaron Donald comes up and uh, he basically has a free, you know, just straight pass rush, straight to Geno Smith, and Geno Smith was like, oh, and just throws the ball yeah. away. And I think <laughs> I think everyone could understand, and he kind of endeared himself with his reaction there. But I, when that you saw that moment. so much more than we know, <laughs> of right? Of course. Because, I'm like, that imagine that just yeah. being in that situation. You would be just saying the most ridiculous, <laughs> like, oh, my God, all the time. I'm, at least I would be. Absolutely. And I think we need more of that. I think everyone should be mic'd up and we should hear their reactions. And uh, maybe they would endear themselves to the people even more. Um, Gino was beloved last season, right? One of the best stories in the game. They go 9-8. and eight, They get a playoff berth. So are, are we concerned about Gino Smith after week one? Or are we going to give him the benefit of the doubt and give him some time before we start hitting the panic button? 
I give him the benefit of the doubt just because it's it's a small sample size and, and weird stuff happens. But those two, the the offensive line issues, if those injuries do linger for a significant part of the season, I do think it's enough, even just after a week, for me to downgrade them from, I mean, I, I was high on them as part of this and viewed them as sort of the fourth team in an NFC class with the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys. I don't want to, I, I don't really think that anymore. Um, mm. They're still a playoff contender. I think, I think they can get it together, but I probably changed my opinion on them the most, just because if you ask me now, if I think they can beat the Niners in the division, I, I really don't see it. Um, particularly if those offensive line injuries linger. And then in terms yeah. of just overall playoff, hopes they don't feel like a cream of the crop team which i thought they had a chance to be second half of that week one game 14 offensive plays for just 12 yards so i think that kind of sums up uh the issues offensively for the seahawks but they are going to detroit detroit is favored by five and a half uh in that game detroit coming off their week one win a lot of expectations a lot of hope uh, a lot of ski masks are going to be worn to this game do you think that maybe gino could go in and, and get a win in detroit and maybe that turns things around I mean, he loves he loves to be counted out, right? And this is right. still a really, really talented team. I just, I really do worry about him facing a ton of pressure. And I think they're going to have to put up some points to be able to keep pace with the Lions. I'm still not sure this Seahawks team is is ready to win games defensively. And if that's the type of matchup that they would be in store for, I... I don't feel great about it, but he's certainly surprised us before. Yeah, right. I believe in the Geno arc. I believe in him being able to bounce back. So I'm not out yet. I'm not counting him out. All right, let's talk about it because uh, Geno Smith was once the quarterback of the New York Jets. That's what we like to call a segue there, folks, because we have to talk about the New York Jets. Everyone ad nauseum has talked about Aaron Rodgers. We understand that situation. It is sad. Um, He said that he is going to, you know, the, the night is darkest before the dawn and that he will rise. So we understand Aaron Rodgers is on the path of rising. He is about to climb out of this situation and figure it out. But on the flip side, let's talk about the current iteration of the New York Jets. They say Zach Wilson is the guy at quarterback. They're going to move forward uh, with the former number two pick. But I ask you, Nora, the Jets should hire or should reach out or should sign who to be their quarterback if it is not Zach Wilson. Here's the call I think they have to make. I think they have to call the Cardinals about Kyler Murray, which is a oh complicated goodness. negotiation a if it even call. got to yeah. that, that point. Oh, man. But I think they have to try because Mm. it is so unusual for a quarterback of Kyler's caliber to be even potentially available. And if you're the Cardinals, where would you rather send him than an AFC team that's all the way across the country? So I think there's enough there there that it's worth exploring. Now, it's it, it would be a tough needle to thread, right? Because first of all, he's not healthy right now. So there's some number of games where you've got to get by with Zach Wilson, with Tim Boyle, whatever it is. You got to get by. Second of all, you probably don't trade for Kyler Murray just to play him this year. Now, right. I do think that Kyler Murray's value right now is probably lower than it's going to be by the end of the year if he plays somewhere. 
so it's not that I think you would have to give up the the house, the franchise, the whatever to get him. I think you could get a pretty good deal on that. But it's still Kyler Murray. It's still, you know, a quarterback who who is going to command a hefty price. So if you think that Rodgers is absolutely coming back in 2024, that he will bounce back from this Achilles injury and be the player that they were expecting him to be, that is a complicated situation. So I don't want to I don't want to discount that because he's not going to be happy about it. He's not going to be happy about the competition. Do you have the money to deal with both salaries? Rodgers is, is is hard to move if he doesn't retire or deal with or extend or whatever. It's really, really, really delicate. But let's be honest. Achilles injuries are awful. Mm-hmm. This guy has had his age 38 and now age 39 NFL seasons, both impacted by injury. And Steven Ruiz has a piece up on the ringer right now. And we talked about it a little bit on the NFL show today he dug into some data on quarterbacks coming back from Achilles injuries in the past the numbers are not good nobody tends to be the same guy coming out of that so if the Jets are capable of stomaching the absolute harshness of the reality that they're now facing where this guy that that you know they had anointed as the savior of their franchise no longer is going to play this season and might not be the same guy if he even does come back next year, which he says he's he seems to be indicating that he wants to. You know, of course, there's a lot of time between then and now. Then I think you owe it to yourselves to see if you could work something for a quarterback who has more talent than anybody else that you're going to have a chance at getting. Yeah, I uh, you just created the greatest quarterback room for New York media possible. Kyler Murray and Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. I mean, Can and Zach Wilson. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm sure Zach I mean, Wilson look, might be included, but that's insane. Here's the thing, Tate. <laughs> I get it. It's messy. It's it's messy as I'll get out, and it's expensive. But it's either that or like Carson Wentz, Zach Wilson, and Tim Boyle. So right. uh, don't forget Jets about my boy Flacco. Flacco's ready for the call. He's like, this is only ten years after his Super Bowl run. He knows he's ready. So uh, they're all yeah, ready. Is... They're all of they're all of these quarterbacks. Like um, RG three is ready. Cam yeah, Newton, he was putting right? videos up saying uh, <laughs> the only reason they don't they don't sign quarterbacks like me is because it's a locker room distraction. Mm. <laughs> which I thought was very funny because I can think of a couple other reasons, which is that it's it's been no, a that's, minute. That's the reason. Yeah, that's the reason. That's the primary reason. I love when he said that everyone on set was like, is is RG3 pitching himself right now? And yes, yes. turns out he was. That was a great moment. Um, Nora, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back, and we're going to pick up and talk about some of the biggest trends that are happening in the NFL right now. Love it. Nora still sitting here. We're still trying to parse through everything happening uh, in the NFL world right now. So let's start here. Nora, some of the biggest trends that you saw in week one and expect to see as we move forward into week two. What's the biggest trend that you saw? Well, I, I thought, you know, one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch over the course of the season, and we've talked about it a little bit when we've talked about all of the drama around running back contracts, is that for all of the devaluation of that position, teams are using them. 
and the yeah. running game is is pretty <laughs> important relative to some of the dips that it's gone through over the last few years. The Chargers, for instance, I know they lost the game, but that was the best game of week one. That was the most fun game of week one. The Chargers might have a running game. The Chargers could run mm. the ball. I mean, they said that they would do it, but it was hard to, you know, you, you hold your breath because it's the Chargers and it's that offense. And we've been through this before and 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 again. They really did a good job against against the Dolphins, just moving the ball on the ground, staying in positive down and distances. I think that's going to be so important to this Kellen Moore offense um, with Justin Herbert there and and was actually a really encouraging thing to see out of them, even though, again, you know, they lost the game. Um, so that that to me was emblematic of a few teams that I think we've seen try to varying degrees of success to recommit to the ground game a little bit. Buffalo, on the other hand, is a team that tried really hard and just like couldn't do it at all. They still don't seem to have a running game, even though they are playing tons and tons of two tight end sets and doing all this stuff so that they can try to move the ball on the ground. It's not working. Um, <laughs> Indy, you saw the the how much they missed Jonathan Taylor. Actually, a lot more than I thought that that you would be able to see that not because Jonathan Taylor is not great, but I thought that Anthony Richardson's impact would paper over that more than it did, even though he had a really good debut. It was, it was that's an interesting thing to watch going forward. But I think it, it was, you know, you don't want to take too much away from week one. But one thing that I noticed was that there were teams who'd managed to find a little extra something on the ground who really reaped the benefits of that. And conversely, some teams who have struggled to find a competent running game who couldn't really get away with it in the same ways that I think some teams in the in past years have been able to do. It was big for the running backs that we're talking about at one point unionizing uh, around the position because of the disrespect. And this week they had the the tape to say, look, this is what we're talking about. We have uh, we're vital to this game and the ground game in general is very vital. I like that trend. I like that call. Uh, we also have the ringers power rankings um, that are out right now. And I think uh, I this is what we have to start with. The number one team on the power rankings, even after their loss in week one, the Kansas City Chiefs. Are we panicked about the Chiefs or are we just like the, the ringer power rankings? right here do we still think they're the number one team in the NFL yeah you're not gonna hear me say that that the team with Patrick Mahomes only needs <laughs> one loss to get knocked out of the top spot I okay. do think that <laughs> I I would I'll be watching I'm a little concerned <laughs> about the receiver situation now they're gonna get Kelsey back and and we'll see if that ends up fixing a lot of what went wrong in week one but I do think that there's a little bit of a mental trick that they've played on us where Tyreek Hill left and it was fine. So it makes you think, man, if they can can just pick up where they left off without one of the most explosive players in the game and their top receiver, then they can do anything. Patrick Mahomes can yeah. can overcome anything and they they rediscovered their running game and they found Isaiah Pacheco and Andy Reid is such a schematic genius and it's all fine. So then when it happens again this year and, oh, it's just Juju, it's sort of like, hey, fine, whatever. But we got to remember that these are not, you know, it's an additive thing. They lost Tyreek and then the next year they also lost their number one receiver yet again. And 
it's gone to a place where I do think they're feeling it a little bit. Now, again, Kelsey is the number one receiver there. So I think it will be much, much, much better when he's back in there. And I think that as long as Mahomes is healthy, it's going to take a lot more than that to knock them off of that number one spot. But I don't think that the concern over the receiver performance should be zero. I agree. And I think uh, I think you make a very valid point. We can't knock him out of number one. But uh, when you lose the first game of the season, naturally, I want to knock you out of number one. So in my mind, they are not number one. And the team that got me to think that they are number one in week one was the Miami Dolphins. Uh, obviously, played the Chargers, a very um, electric game. Tua had a great game. Tyreek Hill, the former number one of the Chiefs, looked incredible. Can we just t- They're number five on the power rankings, according to the ringer football gods that we have here. Um, what do you think about the Dolphins? And, and am I crazy to not be buying? I'm buying the hype. I'm all the way in. I think they can do it if Tua can stay healthy. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm buying. Um, you know, the game that they have against the Patriots is going to be really interesting because for all of the things that have gone wrong in new England over the last few years, Bill Belichick can still design a defensive game plan. He can still scheme them up to make a dynamic quarterback look not his best. And I think he has better tools to do that this year than he's had in a while, particularly when it comes to Miami, because no team is going to have a speed advantage against the Dolphins. They're the fastest team in the league and and no one's really close. But the Patriots defense is so much faster than it's been over the last few seasons. I mean, that had really become a problem for them is because they just become this sort of like slow hulking team felt like a dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. And they've really done a good job roster wise in adding speed to every level of, of their defense. And so I think they should be ready to at least throw their best effort against Miami. Mm. I don't think it's fair to lay the expectations on the dolphins that they're going to put up 460 yards a, a, a week. But if they go off again, against this defense that just did a really good job on the Eagles, a good team with a good quarterback and good weapons. I'm going to be seriously impressed. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to lie. Like Tyree kill looked like he was playing arena football, right? I oh mean, my some gosh. of these routes, it, it was incredible stuff. It was different speed, different level. I mean, we've seen it before. We shouldn't act like we're surprised by it, but it, it was pretty jarring to see in week one. So the dolphins, they have our attention. We both are buying the hype after week one. Let's talk about the team that you're most worried about. You know what I mean? Everyone's talking about the Steelers. They're a team that's been thrown out there. The bills after their Monday night performance, but to you, Nora, which team are you most worried about after week one? I'm worried about the bills. I'm just worried about I'm worried about Josh Allen's mindset. I'm worried about what the decision making process is looking like. And then I'm particularly worried about some of the personnel issues that it seemed like they were trying to solve over the offseason. I mean, the lack of a running game there has been an issue for years. And they talked a lot this offseason about having Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox in the building. They were going to play a lot of two tight end sets. And they did against the Jets. They, they, I think it was like over 60% of the time they were in 12. And the hope was that they were going to be able to change the defensive looks that they were seeing when they had that much size on the field. 
And the Jets just played nickel the whole time. Like they did not care because the Bills were not able to run the ball and make them pay for it. And if they're not able to do that, then a big part of what they spent this offseason gearing up to be able to try to do just doesn't look like it's working. And then you have your star quarterback who's one, still one of the most electric players in football. You can't like, no one's ever taking that away from that guy. But I do think that, you know, I, I've been way over psychoanalyzing this one press conference he gave this year, but I'll just do it again because it's fun. When he talks about some of the decision-making, he uses this phrase where he has to, quote, learn to give up sometimes. And it just makes me think that when we're talking about, hey, Josh, be smart with the freaking football and don't. Like what Diggs said to him. Diggs was like, just right. be smart, right? We saw on the sidelines. Yeah. Don't throw it. Don't uncork this thing 30 yards down the field when there's one defensive back here and one defensive back here. In his mind, it's that's like waving the white flag. The live to play another down mindset, I think on some level to Josh Allen is, man, I'm not as cool as I could be. Like that, that really wasn't fun. And it's hurting them. It's always like, it's always hurt them. It's hurt them even when they've had great offenses. Josh Allen has led the league in, in interceptions since 2018. And the Bills have had some of the best offenses over that span too. So some of this is just baked into the cake. But I don't know that he has the right frame of mind when it comes to just chill out a little bit, man. Try not to throw some of those because it's yeah. not a, it's not a technique thing. It's not an ability thing. It's just it's just decision making. It's a gunslinger thing. And this is kind of their last year with the window of Josh. Like this is a 19 million dollar cap hit this year. Next year, it'll be 80 million dollars. So, I mean. That, that is going to be a major upgrade as far as the impact of his salary on the team, the ability to put weapons around him. So, like, this is the year. If there was ever a year for the Buffalo Bills to say, we need to do this now, now is the time. There's no time like the present. So that is the other thing that is kind of looming over this entire team. That's why Monday night was so fascinating to so many different people. And uh, hopefully he figures it out. We're going to take one more break here, and then we're going to come back, Nora, and we're going to talk about our guy, Travis Kelsey, and what's <laughs> happening with your girl, Taylor Swift. We'll be right back all right we are back nora um before we get into the fun stuff quickly i want to ask you uh is there one game this weekend week two that you have circled that you're like maybe the Bengals and the ravens like a lot of people are excited to see what joe burrow looks like week two but is there one game that you're circling and you're saying this is what i want to watch well Bengals ravens is a good one just because those afc north battles are always really interesting and really physical i talked about the dolphins and the patriots sunday mm. night football i think that should be a really really good game but I'll give you Chiefs-Jaguars. By the way, I had a hard time picking this. Week two is great. There are a lot of great matchups this right. week. Uh, but Chiefs-Jaguars, I thought Trevor Lawrence had one of the sort of sneaky, most like sneaky good days in week one. I don't know that, you know, Press Taylor's calling the plays there now. I don't know that I loved all of his choices. 
I thought the Colts defensive front was a lot feistier than I was expecting them to be. So he had some adversity, but the way that he handled it, and particularly towards the end of the game, when I think they were leaning on his athleticism a little bit more, Lawrence just looked like he's ready to go this year. Um, and Calvin Ridley was, was such an exciting thing to see him pop off in the first week back after all that time missed. So them going up against the chiefs who week one aside can still count on for some firepower. I think that could be high scoring. I think it could be exciting. It's two of those great AFC quarterbacks going mano a mano. So I'll be really pumped for that one. And we got a hurricane looming in the background at one o'clock. So I mean, oh, there no. could be some weather involved. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's going to be a lot going on in Duval County. So I, I think that's a great game to circle. And if the Chiefs start the season 0-2, maybe then then they'll move out of the number one spot in the power rankings. We'll see. Maybe not. They still Dude, have are Pat you Mahomes. upset about this? <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I think I, <laughs> I don't know who made the power rankings, but I, I am putting me. in a notice. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'll leave it there. Let's talk about some fun stuff because let's do some prop culture. Um, There is a lot of rumors swirling out there about Travis Kelsey and who he may or may not be dating. We talked about a couple months ago Travis Kelsey trying to swoon Taylor Swift at a concert with a friendship friendship bracelet with a number on it. So this has been in the uh, ether for quite some time. But the question is simple, Nora. (laughs) Is Travis Kelsey dating Taylor Swift? Is this real? Is this happening? All right, Tate. First of all, I'm gonna put on I'm gonna put on my my Eras Tour friendship bracelet. Wow. I and love then this. I'm gonna put on my tinfoil hat because we're gonna do a little conspiracy <laughs> okay. corner. Yeah. Um, I have Perfect. some props for you. First of yes, all, yes, please. Exhibit A. <laughs> Can everyone see? Ah, okay. Yes. Prime Video announces September 12th premiere date for Kelsey. That is their docu series about mostly Travis's brother Jason but the entire Kelsey family is involved. September 12th. Okay. Now, (laughs) the report in question that has the internet all on Twitter that everyone's talking about, that the Daily Mail is aggregating, that Page Six is aggregating, that's just flying around. Let's let's look at that published date. September 12th. Would you look at that? Would you look at that timing? And then the cherry on top here. Oh, my goodness. My hat is going to fall off if I go like that. (laughs) (laughs) Doing a balancing act. (laughs) Travis. Last week on his podcast with his brother wearing a John Mayer shirt. I mean, Mm. come on. We got it. We got to smell a planted rumor when it wafts all around us and hits us in the face. They've, I bet they've never met. I am calling so oh much goodness. BS on this. I think this is a savvy marketing ploy on behalf of the Kelseys so that Swifties like me, I guess I would watch it anyway, but so that the Swifty community <laughs> will watch their documentary. And it's smart. Honestly, it's smart. But I'm, you- I'm... I'm not expecting to see Taylor in the stands at any Chiefs games this year. Let's just yeah, put it that, that way. That was uh, – I love the conspiracy corner. I love the tinfoil hat, and I love that you came to this conclusion because I think you are correct. And you've said this to me in the past, that there's a lot of people that will try to use Taylor Swift's name to, you know, get up and conjure up like a little PR storm. 
And it looks like the Kelseys have figured this out to be the case because, like I said, we covered it the last time with the friendship bracelet and the phone number and all that sort of deal. And I can't imagine he goes from not being able to even get in contact with her to now they're dating some two months later. It does seem like a big jump. Um, so I think you're 100% on it. It and sounds wearing, like I was going to do wearing a T-shirt of her villainous ex on yeah, his, right. his podcast for everyone to see. I just don't buy it. But I do. Funny things are happening. I'm going to take this off because it's falling off my head. Um, <laughs> our our guy, Stephen Ruiz, and this is exactly what they wanted to happen. Stephen found a tweet by a member of the Swifty community that said, like, Travis Kelsey, can we get a deep dive on this guy? Mm. And now, of course, Stephen, being the comedian he is and also the analyst he is, quote tweets it with a bunch of, like, cut-ups of Travis's tape and next-gen stats and all of this, like, deep dive into his, right. his football playing career. <laughs> and then completely stone-faced, <laughs> this Swifty on Twitter just responds, that wasn't what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what we were. That's not what we were asking. Uh, we would like to see interviews from uh, Jimmy Fallon, please. Yeah, but you know what, I Travis, I'm on to you. I I think you called it from day one, and I think you have completely turned me because I believed it. Um, I guess I'm naive. I was believing the hype a little bit, and I was thinking to myself, man, maybe Taylor Swift is doing this. It's not a bad PR move. Maybe she goes to a Chiefs game. I was going to give you some over-unders. But I did see her at the VMAs, and she looked like she was single and thriving. I'm not going to lie. Like, she looked like Absolutely she was having thriving. a good time. Yeah, so – T. Swift's all right. T. Kelsey, hopefully he's going to be back on the football field very soon. And for right now, Nora and I agree, they are not in conjunction. They are not in cahoots. Maybe there's some PR chicanery happening, but but that is our final answer, Nora, right? You're saying this is not happening. Not happening. I'll send you a hat, Tate. I'm gl glad to see you're on the right side of history here. I love it. I, I do my best, and I try my best to be on the right side of history, and I appreciate all your insights as always. Nora, thanks so much for joining the show. We will be back right after the break with the great David Shoemaker. And, uh, Nora, I'll see you next week. We're going to keep this up, right? We're going to keep trying to keep you know keep this thing rolling for the rest of the season, so I'm very excited, so excited. about that. Can't wait. Bring more props. Perfect. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you. Joining us now on Through the Ringer, you've seen him here before, and he's going to get us up to speed on all things TKO. He is the great David Shoemaker. Shoemaker, what's going on, man? Nothing, man. Just sitting back enjoying all the wrestling news that has nothing to do with wrestling. It's, you know, exciting stuff. I never thought I would be in a situation where I call you up, Shoemaker, and immediately I start talking about the New York Stock Exchange, but this is where we are uh, in the world of wrestling. So maybe we, we do start there and let people know that this is the case. So we have a group, a merger that has happened. So we have the UFC and WWE. They are now together. They are a group that is TKO, and they are being publicly traded on the stock market. Is that is that the bare bones of what we need to know as we start this conversation here? Yeah, I think the merger – the sale, I mean, whatever you want to call it, Endeavor is the now <laughs> now sort of the folks in, in pole position. Right. But um, I think that's the real story. I think that the the publicly traded aspect of it is going to be an incredibly interesting thing to watch. I mean, the, we got WWE is already talking about renegotiating. The, I mean, their rights deals, their TV rights deals and streaming rights deals. UFC will be up before long, and you know, ESPN has built 
they're over the top empire in large part because of UFC. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how much money these things make in an era where I'm sure the big media companies are going to be trying to claw back on rights deals a little bit, but also they're going to be bidding against, you know, tech companies that have endless amounts of money. So, uh, you know, I, I heard somebody from the TKO say they're, they're on, they're on pace for a 1.4, 1.5 increase in rights deal deal fees. But then, you know, is a 10% increase enough to send the stock price spiraling? I mean, like, who knows? That's going to be really, really weird to watch. Yeah, and now we have basically two entities operating as one, and everyone's trying to figure out, will they play nice with each other? Can we get into that a little bit? Because we do have two um, institutions that we know individually, and now they're supposed to work in conjunction. Uh, it's a good question. I think in just about any other situation, the number one bullet point on the list of things to watch out for would be like clashing of egos. But, <laughs> you know, Dana White, UFC have been working with the Endeavor folks for a while, and that's not seemed to be a major issue. So we'll see. Uh, my guess is that will not be a major concern. We'll, mm. we'll see. But but how, they, how the two companies work together, that's a much more interesting question. Yeah. I mean, there have always already been People discussing, I mean, I've talked about it. Bill's talked about it. Everybody's been talking about the potential for like mega weekends. You know, it's just like TKO comes to Miami and we have a major WWE show, a major UFC show and, you know, getting local cities to ante up for whatever they whatever they want to offer to get them in town is going to be a big deal. Getting all those fans, you know, from both sides to fly in, to experience this whole thing. I mean, that, that's obviously... A little bit pie in the sky, but I think it's something that we'll definitely see. Um, it, it's just a, a matter of of how long it takes these things to really get moving. I think one of the big things that you know UFC could potentially get from this partnership um, is that WWE has you know long standing relationships with major arenas all over the country. UFC runs those, but they tend to run a lot of big pay per views from relatively small arenas. You know, how big can they get? How could they have? a UFC WrestleMania. There's a lot of questions, but obviously, you know, they're more concerned with pay-per-view numbers than they are, to, you know, gate and WWE is not even in the pay-per-view market barely anymore. Yeah. Which is, that's fascinating too. That you're like two contrasting styles. Also, I know like with UFC, you can pay for the pay-per-view, but you could also wait two weeks and you can watch on ESPN plus. So there's like a lot of, you know, convoluted spaces, you know, when it comes to like what people want to see and how they're going to see these two things. I want to talk about the crossover because you mentioned these mega weekends. Is that the best idea that we've probably heard, uh, you know, with these two entities together that there's a world in which we get these events together in these big cities and people blow it out? Well, before this was even, you know, a big deal. I remember talking to people about having, you know, Logan Paul is all tied up with the WWE. Like, could they, could, could one of his cards have pro wrestling on it on these mm. like sort of fight cards that he's doing? I think a crossover card would be incredibly interesting. Although having the cage in the ring sort of interchangeable might be a little bit of a logistical nightmare. Um, I don't know what the best idea is. I mean, I, th I think that, I think that, um, I think that city takeovers would be it could be a really huge thing for them, um, but I think that probably you know when we look back in ten years, the most significant thing is going to be less about live events and more about the sort of combined muscle that they have for negotiating rights deals for pay per view or over the top. However, they end up doing their big events, I think that they're going to have a whole lot of they're going to have a whole lot of power, a whole lot of sway, and whether or not they do rights deals as a package thing, which it doesn't look like they will at first or just kind of use that as a lever to get more. Um, I, I think, you know, the money is going to be what we remember.
And do we think this is kind of like a mutually beneficial thing in the end? Because I saw some people saying this was great for the WWE, you know, or, or vice versa, right? People have argued both sides of that. But is it great for both sides at the end of the day? I think so. I mean, I think that, that I mean, stri- if we're strictly talking business here, you can streamline a lot of stuff. You can, you can, you know, look at the strengths of the two companies and have their, and theoretically there could be a lot more interplay in the ways, in, you know, any place where the companies don't even see deficiencies for themselves. But, you know, everybody who's watching knows that there are certain things that WWE does really well that, that, that the UFC does not and, and vice versa. Um, I think, you know, UFC is incredible at marketing, incredible at marketing their fighters. Um, but that's, but, but WWE is a marketing machine, right? I mean, that's the whole game. That's the whole game for them. So, you know, there'll definitely be things to learn. I, I, I think that if you if you look at this and you say WWE gains legitimacy and that's good for them, you're kind of missing the forest for the trees. Um, I think this is an, an acknowledgement, something that people like me have known for a long time, that there's not a whole lot of space between what these two companies do. One is, you know, on the level and one is a performance, but there's a just so much crossover in the fan bases and the mindsets and the way they do business that I think that, that, you know, streamlining the differences will probably end up helping both companies a lot. And you keep talking about the crossover. Is there a specific like athlete, maybe it is Logan Paul that can kind of just hedge between those two places and go back and forth. And maybe that's like a new space where we see performance side of these athletes. And then we see the actual, you know, physical side with the UFC. I mean, I th- listen, Brock Lesnar's done it. Ronda Rousey did it. And Brock mm-hmm. went back and forth. Um, Ronda's talking about going back now. We'll see. I think that, um, those people will be few and far between. The people that are even have it in them to make the jump are not as plentiful as you might think. Uh, and and going back and forth, that's where the money becomes a big question mark, right? Like, are you really going to risk your your health in one place, and or you're you're with your risk your health in the octagon if you're a UFC fighter, or the potential for uh, for PR nightmare if you're a WWE wrestler to cross the you know to, to cross the rail and go the other way. I doubt that we'll be seeing a lot of back and forth in real time. But you know, people have fought and wrestled at the same time. Bobby Lashley did it. You know, there's there's some names. It's just at this level, I you'd have so much more to lose, I think, than you would to gain. Now, is there going to be more of a direct line for certain UFC fighters to sort of do their second act on WWE TV? Sure, but that already exists. I mean, maybe now it's just there's someone in HR you can call instead of calling your agent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it'll, I think it'll raise the profiles of everyone involved. Um, you know, you'll see Conor McGregor just doing stuff on WWE television when it's necessary. And, and, and I'm sure there'll be examples in the other direction. You know, you'll see WWE stars sitting in the front row at UFC events and, and those things have, you know, real subtle, but real value to both products. And is there is there a world in which the TKO group obviously has these two entities? Are they going to try to add another wing? You know what I mean in the world of fighting, like boxing potentially, right? Did they go and just try to bring boxing in? Now you have three of these entities, fighting entities that are working, you know, rowing in the same direction. I mean, it, yes, sure. Everybody's talking about it. Anybody yeah. that I mean, it's it's a it's a clear lane. They talk. They say they're in acquisition mode. Anybody that you know, knows anything about Nick Khan, knows that he's an old school fighting fan. And everybody knows that if you're an old school fighting fan, you love the fights, but more importantly, you have a vision for fixing boxing. Right? Yes, I mean, right. Everybody like has their, like, if you talk to anyone that's into fighting, they'll tell you this is how we fix boxing, right? Everybody yeah. has a plan. 
So I, I'm sure it's something they're looking at. Now, that's a much bigger deal. I mean, it's a much it's a much bigger task than acquiring a successful boxing company, you know, on the on, but there's not really one there's no real acquisition to make on par with WWE or UFC. So it it would be it would be a bigger task and I think they'll probably wait a little bit before they make that move. And could like the the WWE obviously the narratives and the writing and the storylines that's such a big part of what happens with WWE. If you're able to take some of that creative energy and put it into the UFC or put it into boxing, do you think that can help even take those sports to the next level by having some of that performance behind it? Yeah, I mean, low key, this is what UFC's been doing from the beginning. They mm-hmm. figured out how to do video packages for their fighters that look and sound and smell a lot like WWE promo packages. Uh, and that was even dating to the time when Dana White would swear up and down that his business couldn't be any further from WWE, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, there's there's obviously value in that. It's weird because when you look at the two companies, you know, WWE is a creative enterprise, right? I mean, if, if you don't know much about wrestling, or even if you do, you might say, well, yeah, they create stars, right? Vince McMahon creates Hulk Hogan, creates Roman Reigns, creates John Cena, but you know, Dana White creates his stars too. You know, he can take anybody with a 4-0 record and, and 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 give us reason to believe they're a main eventer that should sell you a pay-per-view, right? To get you to spend your $80 or however you want to, you know, however you watch it. Um, you know, th- they're both star-making enterprises. And quietly, being an absolutely elite wrestler is just as hard as like finding that diamond in the rough fighter. You know, the people that can really carry a company, the people that can sell a major event, your Hogan, Cena, Rock, Austin, Roman Reigns types are so few and far between that, um, you know, maybe there's something to be learned from both sides. It'll be interesting to see how those sort of like creative consultant meetings go moving forward. I, I, I would I would love to be on a, fl- a fly on the wall for one of those. Yeah, we all would love to be that uh, fly on the wall, like you said. But I also wanted to ask about, so we're, we're trading like on the stock market, going back to our yeah. original point. Um, the TKO group, if if they're if they're going down, they're trending down, and there's a narrative that's happening, like a major storyline happening in the WWE. <laughs> are they going to change course because of stock prices? Like, are we going to be in this weird world where like stock prices are actually driving storylines? Is that insane to think about? I was talking about this on the Mass Man Show today. It's 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 frightening to think about. I'll just say <laughs> right. that because. WWE has been publicly traded for a while, but they've been completely non-responsive. I mean, it's the, the stock price does not necessarily has not reflected or not affected storylines significantly. To, but now, I think that's really on the table. I mean, if they give so wrestler X the championship belt, the stock market, you know, the stock value fluctuates. It goes down 05 percent. Well, then do they do they re, do they react? Do they overreact? Um, I think there's a real chance that, like, you know the stock exchange is the biggest heel in pro wrestling a year from now, you know, they're like wrestling fans always are just like Vince McMahon. He's out of ideas. Get him out of here. That, and they hate him more than they ever hated him. when he was a villain on screen. I mean, at some point the whole thing could just turn on the stock market too. It's not like wrestling fans have it. Well, except for the ones that are invested don't have any reason to love it. So, you know, if it feels, if it feels like that, that's a drag on the product. I mean, that's wrestling villainy right there. Do you think that's also just a great, you know, a great storyline to play into, right? That the stock market is is the issue, right? You can like you have this all powerful thing that is not a real person, right? It's not a human that's affected like a Vince McMahon. It's like the perfect thing to say, you know, oh my God, this thing is changing, you know, the course of history in the WWE. They have something to all be upset about. This might be a dream, right? I mean, you have the perfect villain. Yeah, no, there will definitely be like a heel. <laughs> 
champion at some point who goes out there and brags about like you know being the stock market god being very the guy trumpian who, yeah right yeah <laughs> the guy who was champion on the high on the on the day that the stock price peaked yeah so he's right. like, look i lost and look what happened to the stock price yeah that'll that'll definitely be in the ether it'll be interesting to see if that actually gets said out loud you know there's some things in wrestling that you just don't there's some elements of reality that you just can't address because they're too real and they're just too much of a going concern that might be a third rail for now yeah. we'll see I, at some point it might become too much of an issue to really ignore. But that's when, like, you know, Triple H will go out there and get a microphone and, and you know, tr try to try to quell the, the storm a little bit. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It'll, it'll be very interesting to see where all that goes. you because i feel like in the golf world right now everyone's talking about like charlie woods right they're getting prepared like they're mm -hmm. like he's the star that's on the horizon right we love all these young american golfers but he's the one that everyone's looking to maybe john daly's kid also is there like a wrestling prodigy that we have in the wwe ranks like how the rock was right when he came up everyone knew his dad and then he becomes a star all of a sudden is there someone that's kind of waiting in the winds like a, a Bronny james for example right that everyone's like i know this young man and this young star and and they're on their way I mean, there's a lot of second and third generation wrestlers uh, yeah. that are out there. I think that, um, you know, who's next is always an open argument, open question in pro mm. wrestling. And WWE, I mean, there's if you said who's next, the answer is this guy, L.A. Knight, who's 40 years old, who just sort of came out of nowhere <laughs> and is now everybody's like chant doing his chants and and just going nuts for him when he comes out. Um there's a lot of guys getting huge reactions right now, though. We're at a really high point. Jay Uso, just one of the Uso twins, mm -hmm. just switched from one show to another. He's wrestling as his, as a singles guy now, away from all of his family. I mean, they've got that family's got more legacy than anybody else, and uh, and he's got the entire crowd getting out of their seats. I mean, it's it's there there are a lot of people, but he, I mean, WWE has you know NXT, their developmental territory too, and there's a lot of talent down there. Uh, Tiffany Stratton, who's the women's champ, just had a match with Becky Lynch to prove her metal. Uh, Carmelo Hayes is a is you know just a five tool guy who's the champ the men's champ down there right now and the former champ Braun Breaker former Ohio State football player there you go and, and son of uh, Rick Steiner of the Steiner brothers um, is is uh, you know everybody's got their eye on him he's he's definitely destined for big things I love that and then on the flip side I'll ask you about UFC I know Sean Strickland just won UFC 293. <laughs> That was a moment. Um, but but on their side, like you talked about their ability to create stars, is there someone that's in the younger ranks that is coming up in UFC? And like you said, it is hard to find fighters more so, and it's hard to find performers too. No, I listen, I'm not the UFC expert that I once was. Yeah, right. Uh, they're, they're, I know. All... I'm, th I'm throwing you uh, some curveballs here just because, you know, now we're together. Now it's, this is a TKO conversation, right? Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's obviously a much bigger conversation, and I'll be more in the weeds in the UFC now, or like I was in the weeds back when I was editing UFC content on the ringer.com. <laughs> there you go. Because I got to keep up with their, uh, I got to keep up with their stock value too. see what they're doing to my <laughs> beloved pro wrestling. So, I'll, you know, next time we talk, I'll have some good names for you. There you go. And uh, we can always call in Chuck Mendenhall as well if we need someone to come in and give us the UFC hubbub. Uh, David Shoemaker, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for getting us up to speed. I know this is a lot to ask, a lot of forecasting of the future, but really appreciate you joining the show, man. Man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Tate.
All right, there you have it. Uh, thanks so much to Nora and Shoemaker for coming on the show. This is uh, this is what we're planning to do for these Friday shows. We're going to have a more traditional Through the Ringer where we have uh, Ringer characters come throughout. We're also going to have Nora come through the show once a week uh, and give us an update on all things NFL. Very excited for that. And uh, if you're looking forward to uh, next week, get ready because Tuesday I will be back with Cousin Sal. That's right, the Cousin Sal. And uh, we'll see you then. We'll see you on Tuesday.